Greetings in the name of the Lord. Good to be with you, part of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene, on this side of the Great Divide, I guess. I don't know. That's right. It's um, a privilege to be preaching as part of this uh, series on Philippians. I love the book of Philippians. It's got to be one of my favorite books. Has been clear back since I was a Bible quizzer in high school which is a long time ago. It's a privilege to have um, my daughter, Leanne, and her husband, Jesse, my son, Tim, and his wife, Mia, here today. So they're joining, and this is the uh, amen corner over here, or the (laughs) rooting section or something. Speaking of which, I have a story about Leanne. (laughs) That I was going to tell anyway. Now that she's here, the pressure's on. She has encouraged me to tell this story from time to time, and I, um, I love the story. So, uh, sort of, Leanne, sort of raise your hand so they know who you are. So, if you see her, if you see her sort of like going like this, you'll know that I don't have it quite right. But if it's like this, it's you know, this is pretty much the story. So the story is that um, started um, well. We lived here in San Diego in the uh, the late 90s, and then we moved to Kansas City in 2000. So it was a long time ago. And Leanne um, was very well connected with her friends here. And suffice it to say, this was not her plan. This was not good news to Leanne that we were leaving San Diego, moving to Kansas City. And we moved, and um, she didn't um, find the friends that she, maybe, that we would have hoped that she would have found when when we moved to Kansas City. Leanne's a very social being. She loves to be with people, hates to be alone. But there in Kansas City, she, um, as parents sometimes would say, she fell in with the wrong crowd. And it was kind of scary for her mother and for me because then there were some things that uh, came out of that, some behaviors that she certainly didn't learn in our household. And we felt Leanne slowly slipping away from us. So here was our daughter, our our eldest, whom we had dedicated to the Lord, raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and felt her slowly slipping away and nothing we could do. Her mother and I sometimes would go by her room at night and hear her crying herself asleep. Leanne can be pretty dramatic. Sometimes it sounded more like wailing. (laughs) Could only hope that as we had pastored and ministered to other people and their families, their children, I'd been a youth pastor, that there would be somebody on the other end to catch her. I can remember the day, great day, or the time, 
when Leanne came to us and said, Mama, Daddy, I must come back. After a time at camp or NYC or a combination, that uh, coming back to faith in Christ is a great day. Day of celebration in our household. I can still feel it. Shortly after that, uh, Leanne came to me and she said, Daddy, I think I'd like to get a tattoo. Now, I, I know you wouldn't know this from looking at me, but I'm not the kind of guy who's really big on tattoos. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand that, you know, it's, not, it's different these days, and the symbolism is different than what it used to be, and that's sort of like every... But, you know, I'm thinking, Leanne, are you sure? I mean, like, the people you were with, you know, they had lots of tattoos, and, you know, you get this thing, it's pretty much yours. It's not coming off in the shower. I mean, you got this, it's, it's, you're going to have it for, like, a long time. She said, I know. I want to get a tattoo. And what, what can I say? So she and her friend went off to get a tattoo. And then she came back and said, you know, Daddy, you want to see my tattoo? And I said, where is it? She said, it's, it's on my foot. I said, well, yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> so she took off the sandal of her right foot. And um, there, in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for covenant. So for the rest of her life, whenever she walked, looked down, she would remember that she belonged to God. And I thought, oh, maybe I ought to get a tattoo. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so you can, after the service, you can look at, it's right, it's right there. Now the story really ought to end there, but it, it, it goes on, actually. She came to me, she said, Daddy, I'm going to get a second tattoo. And I thought, you know, that first one was pretty good. Let's not overdo it here. She uh, came back and she said, um, well, you want to see the second tattoo? I said, sure. It's on her other foot. So the first one was, you know, Hebrew for covenant. And this one, you know, just to balance things out, Brad, so it was like, you know, equal time. This one was in Greek. She'd been thinking lots about the return of Christ. And so she had the Greek word Maranatha on her other foot. The Lord come. We would say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because the Lord come. In ways that maybe she couldn't have actually realized at the time, she was doing something pretty profound, the marks on her body, on her feet that um, are actually pretty profound theologically. Theologians talk about the already, not yet kingdom of God. That uh, 
The kingdom has come already in Jesus Christ. It is still to come in the great and glorious day of the Lord. That in this time in between, we are becoming the holy people of God. Well, here on her feet is covenant, what God has said, God's faithfulness. Maranatha, our hope in Christ. The already and the not yet. Already and not yet. And here is this time in between, the journey, the road, of walking, of learning to walk in Christ in this time of already and not yet. When I think of Philippians, there are some themes in Philippians. So I think of Philippians 1, the opening verse, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now this was not just for sort of like the older folks who've been Christians for a long time. This is actually to the whole church. And he calls all of them saints, the holy ones of God. Isn't that interesting? This, you think about it, when Paul is writing, it's not that many years that the church has even been in existence. These are all, this is a baby church. These are new Christians. And yet he calls them saints, the saints, the holy ones of God. So here they are, the holy ones of God becoming holy. In verse 5, he says that they are participants in the gospel from the first day until now. 2 Peter 1, 4 says that we're partakers of the divine nature. Participating in the very life of God. Partakers of the divine nature of God. So here we are in this time of in-between, the already and not yet, and we are participating in the very life and outward mission of God in the world. Went to a wedding last night. I was interested to see the celebration. That's uh, congratulations to the couple. That's wonderful. Well, the wedding that uh, actually we were all at last night, in fact, it's we're moving a little slow today because there was quite a celebration. Still recovering. And didn't have anything to drink, just still recovering. <laughs> water. I had water. Okay. But it's uh, the person who got married uh, is my, my wife's youngest son, Kevin. Uh, Ross Irwin's and it was a wonderful ceremony. Just, it was actually just terrific. Lots of life and energy. And I, I was really taken that uh, Kevin, who is an attorney, you know, after the vows and all, and then they have something they want to say to each other. So Kevin had this wonderful thing all planned out. It was just perfect. And his final words to Tatiana, his now wife, was, I'm all in. Isn't that good? I'm all in. Well, that's sort of like this. That those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are partakers of the divine nature. We're participants in the gospel. We're all in. We're all in. 
as um, we get into Philippians 2, Paul's going to talk a little bit about what this life is like, this time in between. The already and the not yet. The holy ones of God becoming holy. What does that look like? What does it look like for us to be partaking of the divine nature, participants in the gospel? It's a called the kenosis passage. Kenosis means emptying, self-emptying. And it's a, probably a, an ancient hymn or baptismal formula or it's something that Paul probably brings into the text at this point. But it's really profound theologically. Theologians have wrestled with this and looked at this for centuries. Paul is uh, pleading to the Philippians for unity in the church. That's the context. But starting with verse 5, it really transcends and goes way beyond just the plea for unity. Listen to this. Have this way of thinking and living in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped as anything else, but emptied himself, kenosis, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's movement to that, isn't there? Do you see that movement? I have this way of thinking and living in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of the unchangeable form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped for his own benefit, but emptied himself, laid it down, taking the form of bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So I think, you know, it's profound in so many ways. It's the incarnation. It's, it's whether or not it's a, does this mean that Jesus divested himself of his divinity? Talking with Mike Lodal, who was in the other service, uh, Mike helps me some with this, that it's not so much that Jesus is no longer becoming divine in order to become human. How could that be? But it's more that in this passage we see a, a symbol, an icon through which we see the very nature of God who is almighty and as God who is almighty, sovereign of the universe, we see this picture of God who does not make that a big deal, does not hold it over us, but lays it down. A God who is a God of self-emptying love for us. It's a picture of the very character of God. And it says... This is the kicker. This isn't just about Jesus. It says, have this way of thinking and living in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So for all in, it's not just saying, wow, that was pretty cool that Jesus did that. This is us. This is our participation. Our partaker. We are partakers. Um, some of you know that um, 
lot of my grad studies are in sociology and sociology. The sociologists uh, have an interesting perspective on religion. Uh, just basically any society has religion. It's just part of what develops out of a society to answer why bad things happen and why I'm here, what's the meaning of life. Um, but also, um, sociologists see religion developing in just about any society uh, that helps the people in that society to have the perception that they're ac accessing control over things that they don't have control over. So here are things that they need or they want, their agendas, so that they need, you know, rain for the crops, or they need to win at war, or there's like fertility, things that there are, that there are their concerns. And so the gods are basically created to help them accomplish their agendas. Got that? Well, this is the opposite of that. This is not things go better with God. This is not, you know, God at our disposal, God at our convenient call. This is our invitation to move the other direction, to participate in the very life and poured out mission of God. It's not about us at all. In a great book, Compassion, Henry Nowen, McNeil, and Morrison use this passage as sort of the key passage to talk about God and compassion and mission and prayer. Wonderful book. And one of the things that they say in there is um, that we are we're fundamentally disturbed when we are actually called to serve a God and to follow a God who is laying it down, as opposed to one where it is the upward pull. They say it's a downward pull. Instead of how can we get more and more, you know, the prayer of Jabez, something like that. How can we, how can we move up and how God help us to accomplish our dreams? It's instead the downward pull. It's our participation in the movement of Christ Jesus from heaven to earth to the cross. Have this way of thinking and living yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, daily, and follow me. Isn't that interesting? I, um, I'm from a family of preachers and missionaries. More than you'd want to know. My great aunt, of all the missionary and preacher stories in my family, it's in some ways, you know, when you look at your family, there's a sense of, huh, that's from whence I have come. There's something me in all of that. One of those is my great aunt, Edna, was one of them. It was like in the 20s. Long, long ago. She was called to be a missionary. And so she prepared herself, went, went off to language training in Egypt. And when she was Egypt, in Egypt, single in her 20s, she contracted tuberculosis, had to come back to the United States, and two years later, she died. Isn't that a wonderful story? I mean, those aren't the kind of stories that we usually say, you know, it's like, 
and she, and on all. The whole country came to Jesus. I mean, there, I don't know that there was like anybody because it wasn't about her. I just think that, that to me becomes one of the great examples of faithfulness and participating in the poured out life of God for the world regardless, without any guarantees. I'm all in. When Paul is writing this, he, he must get to this place, and then he's doing some self-reflecting. You know, he's in prison or jail or house arrest or some, one of those. And, uh, and as he's writing this, it occurs to him that this is about his life, too. Um, because Philippians 3 is basically his testimony, and it is this. Listen to it. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised of the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as the righteousness, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. He says, I was Paul, a Jew of Jews. I had all things going for me. I was top dog. But what things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which cometh from God on the basis of that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may also attain unto the resurrection. I'm satisfied. Sometimes voluntary displacement is laying things aside voluntarily, that's by definition that's to follow Christ, and to be all in. There are other times when we are following Christ, and it's involuntary, but it looks lots of fun. That displacement finds us. We don't choose it. Remember when I was in Los Angeles, there was a, a saint in the church. Her name was Dora, Dora Shaver. She'd been a school teacher for years, graduate of Northwest Nazarene University in the early years. She, uh, I would love to invite her to come to the pulpit to lead in prayer. She had this sort of deep, sort of husky voice. And when she prayed, you knew that she knew who she was talking to. She ushered us, had a way of ushering us into the very presence of her. She was amazing. I remember the day that, um, that it finally came time as she was aging when her son made the very difficult decision to move her out of her house. And I went by, and there all of Dora's lifelong belongings were on her front lawn up at this area. Hard. Moved her into a nursing home where uh, Los Angeles, 
and most of the workers among themselves spoke a different language. He felt sort of isolated. I remember that I would go and visit her, and every time I would visit her, I felt like I was the one ministered to. As things happened, I'd, I would bring her a tape, but then the tape player disappeared. And I remember I showed up, and her glasses had disappeared. And she was certainly in her right mind, cognizant, fully aware. But here she was, laying in bed, and no glasses, couldn't read. It was just sad. And I, re I remember I showed up one day, and... Uh, they had tied her into bed. So this is the picture. She's tied into bed. So I went and asked the nurse, how come she's tied into bed? And Dora, in her right mind, fully present, aware, laying there all day long, tied into bed. And they said, well, they were afraid, I understand this, that she might get out of bed, fall, hurt herself. So this is Dora. That's a picture. And I remember the, one of the last times I visited, I said, Dora, is there anything that you want me to tell the folks back at church? Do you have anything that you'd like to say? She said, tell them the victory still holds. Tell them the victory still holds. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't this good news? You know it is. This is great news. Because what I want to say to you, that as much as we love living in the resurrection, there is no resurrection without a cross. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no resurrection without a cross. And we're called to follow Jesus, to take up a cross daily, to follow him. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Oh, and by the way, there's more to this canonic passage. Listen to it again. Have this way of thinking and living yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men. And having been found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, ha, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is the good news, that we are participants, partakers of the divine nature, participants in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it takes us to the cross in hope of the resurrection. And in these days in between, he's already not yet dead. We are the holy ones of God being made holy. And as we walk the journey, it is already, but not yet.